Hi, folks. Keith Jones here. You're fixing to listen to Front Row Knowles on the podcast. But before we get started, we want to thank the Champions Club and specifically Seminole Boosters for sponsoring our podcast that allows us to bring the podcast to you commercial-free. You know, we are one tribe. We are unconquered. In the last uh, few years, Florida State has built a tradition of excellence. But right now, all of us that are Seminoles are facing a challenge. We've got 20 sports programs, all the coaches, student athletes that are involved. We've got some budget cuts that we're trying to uh, work through due to the pandemic. And right now, we need you. In order to provide all of our teams and student athletes with the best possible opportunity for success, we need your help. We need you to join Seminole Boosters. We need you to renew your membership. We need you to increase your contribution. We need you to consider making a gift. We don't talk heavy-handed like this much, but this is the time to be a little heavy-handed. Help us out. Help Florida State out. Help Florida State boosters out. And most of all, we want to continue to thank the boosters and specifically the Champions Club for sponsoring us and bringing Front Row Knowles to you. Stay tuned and listen. Thanks. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ with you. This is Front Row Knowles. This is early signing day. Yes, it's the week before Christmas, and you get your gifts. They You unwrap them now. Well, you don't unwrap them, I guess, till they get here and you actually see them on the field. But but you know what's in the box now? Is that the way to put this? I'm not really sure the analogy, Keith, but uh, it's the time to restock and replenish the roster. It's interesting to me, and our listeners should go to Seminoles.com and bring up the, the tribe uh, – part of the National Signing Day website, all of the photos are caricatures now. There's not, they're, they're not even actual photographs. And uh, I got tickled. Uh, obviously, the first on the list is Mackenzie Milton, the transfer from UCF. And they, uh, he's from Hawaii. And in his caricature, he has a lay around his neck. Well, (laughs) here's the thing, Keith, and you're the non-social media guy. I can tell you that the graphics that Florida State football rolled out today, that's based on backyard football, which is uh, video game stuff that's, uh, that's newer than me, so I can't relate. But it has been a buzz nationally among uh, sports business folks, recruiting folks. Florida State's got a ton of kudos for this. And, and to your point, these are kids signing who were not on campus. Normally, they come in for an official visit. You put them in a jersey. You take pictures. You do all this. Well, with the pandemic, you weren't able to do, to do any of that. Right. So everybody right. had to get creative. And I simply point well, that out good. because they look good. Florida State a few years ago was on the other side of this coin, and a lot of folks were highly critical with what FSU was doing from a social media standpoint. Uh, now that pendulum has swung which just goes to show, Keith, that you can change things in just a couple of years, and that ultimately is what we hope to do with uh, on-field product. We'll hear from Mike Norvell momentarily. We are going to talk with Mark Daniels, the longtime voice of the UCF Knights, in our next segment, and he can tell us all about Mackenzie Milton, which obviously was the big deal. And, Keith, that news broke after you and I taped our first look show, which we did on Saturday night after the victory against Duke. It came out on Sunday. There is something to be said to me, and we don't know how healthy he'll be or if he'll ever be the quarterback that he once was. But if you consider what we went through this year with all the talk about, does this guy want to be here? Is he going to opt out? Is Coach Norvell working them too hard? 
Now you've got a guy who was facing having his leg amputated and battled all the way back and decided that he's going to embrace every day and get on the practice field at Florida State. Whatever he does in a game is a bonus. If you're bringing that attitude daily, it can only help. Without question. And as we've talked about, you and I, I can't recall, we've actually, I've actually said it on air, but, you know, one of the great feel-good stories in the NFL this year is the return of Alex Smith from his very gruesome leg injury. By no means am I suggesting that uh, McKenzie Milton's injury is the same as Alex Smith. I don't know that. But Milton has obviously been on the sideline for almost two years now. And as you mentioned, an injury that at one point was was very, very uh, touch and go. And you know, you just look at the numbers, you know, 8,600 yards passing, 72 touchdowns, only 22 interceptions, another 1,078 yards on the ground with 20 touchdowns, you know, almost 10,000 yards of total offense and basically 33, 34 games. Uh, if he is able to get back to form, he is truly a remarkably gifted quarterback and he wants to be here. You know, he he was so close, and I'm sure Mark Daniels can tell us more about this, but he was so close to that team, so close to the quarterback that's playing now for UCF, who, by the way, is pretty darn good too, that he didn't want to be a distraction. So he's leaving. He's coming to Florida State. Uh, I'm excited. I am really excited. And hopefully, hopefully, that leg will be healed and he'll be able to return to form. If for no other reason, then it would be – college football's feel-good story for next year, potentially. Tell you what, Mike Norvell met the media at 3 this afternoon after the recruiting show on Seminoles.com, hosted by Brian McFadden. Let's take a listen to a few minutes of what Coach Norvell had to say about this class, and then we'll react and continue on with Front Row Knowles. This is courtesy of Seminoles.com. Uh, great Wednesday. Uh, happy signing day. Um, you know, definitely excited about us, the, some of the additions to – uh, to this uh, this next year's football team, uh, you'll hear being a part of uh, Tribe 21. Uh, excited about uh, the 16 guys that we were able to sign um, and announce today. You, know, you could have a couple more here in the next few days uh, upcoming, but uh, you also, uh, as we continue to to evaluate and uh, you know, work through this class, uh, you're definitely filling uh, needs that we have, and uh, you'll really. Uh, we think we've done a nice job of identifying and attracting uh, the right fit for this football team uh, with where we are and, and what we need here moving forward. Uh, you know, I don't know. I'll leave it open to any questions about practice today. I thought things went well. It's definitely a unique early signing day with all, all the things that are going on with game plan and game week. But uh, uh, we want to give a little time to uh, be open to any questions that you guys have uh, here moving forward. Hey, Mike, you guys obviously signed a lot of defensive linemen and a lot of different body types. Can you just talk about the need for guys who can do a lot of different things and kind of repackaging that whole group? Yeah, that was, that's one of the, uh, the true bright spots of this year's class, uh, you know, up to this point is just that defensive front. Uh, you guys that are versatile, all, all guys that uh, provide pass rush capabilities. It was a big, big focus for us. Um, you know, I think when you, when you look at uh, you know, guys that can play on the edge, um, you know, they, you know, all, you know, all five of them have provided, have played, uh, you know, at the end position. Uh, you know, we think guys that, uh, like Sean Bray, uh, Josh, um, 
you know, you know that uh, you have the ability to be able to to even you know bump down as in in uh, you know pass rush situations as as we continue to see those guys develop. But then you know they're like true edge rushers as as we see with uh, Patrick uh, the big get with uh, uh, George here today and Byron Turner. I mean all the all three of those guys I think are true ends and uh, prospects, uh, big ceilings. You know great uh, great room for for uh, uh, development here in their future. And I think uh, you. Know, addressed a major need that we had and I uh, was uh, definitely uh, excited about that group. Hey coach, to follow up on Chris's question, obviously a lot of ends in this class edge rushes, as you mentioned, don't see a, a true defensive tackle so far. How much of a priority is that getting in a true interior defensive line going to be going forward and how much of that could be addressed through transfers, whether Juco or otherwise? I mean, it's potential, but we also look at, as we go through our process, you look at you know, guys, their frames, the growth potential. Um, you know, we want to be, you know, we want to be fast. We want to be explosive. Uh, you know, obviously the size and strength um, of, of what these guys possess, I mean, gives them a lot of versatility, um, you know, as they're, as they're moving forward. Um, you know, we, we are, are continuing to work through the process. Could you absolutely take a guy that, uh, um, you know, and, and, uh, to sign that's just an interior player, but on the flip side, we also have some guys here that are on the on the roster that we think that could, as they continue to grow, have that uh, have the have that capability. And so, um, you know, I think we're in a really good place. Uh, you look at the the group of defensive tackles we have on the roster. You know, a lot of sophomores and and, and younger. And so, uh, you know, it's, I think we're in a in a good spot right now. And uh, you know, we're we're going to continue to evaluate that here moving forward. So that's some of the comments from Mike Norvell. Interesting plot twist this week. When have you ever had a signing day in the middle of a game week? And so the coaches have to be focused on all this while focusing on opponent. Now, to be fair, Wake Forest is signing its class, too. It's just part of 2020, Keith. There's been, in years past, uh, some of the assistants would bring out their phones and they'd be sitting around the big conference table. I remember one time specifically when Jimbo was still here. And, uh, you know, the fax comes in or they were watching something on, on broadcast television and uh, they're changing the hats and finally put the hat on for Florida State. And you see the coaching staff, you know, jump up out of their chairs and start clapping and everything. What do you do now? You're in your office clicking tape back and forth and somebody slips a note under your door and says so-and-so signed. <laughs> I don't know how it works these days. Well, it's definitely different than your day, different than the fax machines. We have evolved, but kudos to Florida State on the uh, social media side with the graphics they did. And, uh, you know, and Coach Norvell, just to finish it, and we won't go too deep on this, though we will go deep next segment on Mackenzie Milton. He really was a little bit of a springboard here. Florida State needed something positive, and when a guy like that basically commits to FSU uh, because he competed against Memphis three times at UCF and UCF won all those games, but he was really impressed with Mike Norvell's offense and operation. I mean, that's a testimony and it'll resonate more with transfer students than with high school kids who you want to feel old Keith high school kids now don't even necessarily know who Mackenzie Milton is. And we're talking about a guy that went unbeaten three years ago and was still playing in 2018. Anyway, in terms of uh, on the field or, or, or not on the field, but uh, the way signing day is playing out, for the most part, Florida State is getting everybody that was committed. They did get a, a bonus. Uh, I'll call it a bonus, I guess, and a kid named George Wilson who was committed to South Carolina originally until Will Muschamp got fired. Then he was North Carolina, Auburn, FSU as a defensive end. So that one comes in. But uh, in full disclosure, we're recording this, uh, and it's not airing live, so we don't have the last-minute tidbits on it. But, but all in all, I think this is 
it's going to be a good start. It's not where Florida State typically is on the recruiting trail, but they're trending up now. And and ultimately, however many spots they have left, they'll fill them with some transfers. And I think it'll be a, a really good foundational class. I know it's technically not Norvell's first class, but the reality is it, it sort of is. He inherited most of what he got last year. And not only that, it's his first class, but it has an asterisk with it because in many cases he has not even met these players, probably some of them either on unofficial visits or, you know, somewhere along the line. But, you know, it's not going to be surprising that the first time he sees Tom Block or Keith Jones that signed because of the blackout periods and, and, and the travel restrictions, they've met by Zoom. They've talked by telephone. I'm sure they've exchanged text messages, but he literally might be meeting somebody for the first time in terms of face-to-face. That's how uh, difficult and different this recruiting uh, period has been and, and why that asterisk, you know, I, I, don't, I don't even know if you'd call this his first one. Interesting times in 2020. All right, the cornerstone right now is Mackenzie Milton. Let us uh, continue that conversation when we continue on Front Row Knowles. Stay with us. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, Tom and KJ with you. Let's open up that Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. And say hello to a guy that we've known for a long time, gentlemen, uh, everybody in the Central Florida area or affiliated with the University of Central Florida is going to be familiar with Mark Daniels. Uh, we know him going way back. Mark, good to see you, first of all. Uh, we're doing this via Zoom. I guess our listeners can't see it, but uh, I hope all is well for, for you and yours in, in the Central Florida area. We're doing good. Thank you for having me. You bet. And I know you've been uh, probably your phone, you've been receiving texts from, from numbers you don't recognize this week, people wanting your insight on what Florida State uh, is getting in, in McKenzie Milton. So I guess I'll start there. And just to kind of narrow it down as a starting point, if I give you the chance to, to hit, hit us with three adjectives of what McKenzie is, let me hear them. Uh, smart, passionate, dynamic. Uh, one of the smartest uh, football players I've ever seen. Uh, dynamic that, uh, you know, on the field can do things that you can't coach. Uh, passionate because uh, to, to fight through what he's fought through, to still continue to, to, to live out a dream is remarkable and easy to uh, appreciate and fall in love with the story. Mark, he played high school ball in Hawaii. Short synopsis, how did he get to Orlando? <laughs> well, as he's uh, uh, on track to break every one of two his passing records in Hawaii, uh, Scott Frost invited him to one of the quarterback camps at Oregon. And uh, when he was up there flinging it around, he wasn't a guy that they thought would be among the better names there. And all of a sudden they're like, who, who's this 5'10-ish, 160-pound guy just flinging it? And uh, got a closer look, and, and uh, Scott Frost said, I think that's the best quarterback here. He wasn't the four- or five-star guy that everyone was paying attention to. And then shortly thereafter, Scott left to take the job uh, at, you know, at UCF, and, and one of the first phone calls he made was to McKenzie. He was playing. He was like, wow, all the way to Orlando. And 
you know, the rest they say is history. And then McKenzie's the reason why Dylan Gabriel's here. So talking about your ultimate 30 for 30, what if I told you two quarterbacks would, you know, uh, two quarterbacks would break all of Tua's record and travel across the globe to go to Orlando, Florida? Who would believe that? We're talking with Mark Daniels, I pointed out in our first segment, but he is the longtime voice of the UCF Knights. So you mentioned Dylan there. What does it say about McKenzie that as he comes back, rather than compete there against his friend, who's sort of entrenched now as the starter, that he's willing to move somewhere else? And and maybe part of it is fresh start. Uh, I mean, I'll let you elaborate on that a little bit, but I think it's it's unique and it's certainly it's uh, it's working out well for Florida State. Well, you know, I'm in the group that thinks that uh, uh, McKenzie's last great uh, decision as a teammate was to do what he did. Uh, This isn't something that happened during a bye week in November. This is something that, uh, you know, he recognized the last couple of months that he was going to face a decision. I want to play. If I want to play, can I play here? And if we go through that process, what does that mean? What does that mean to me? What does that mean to Coach Heupel? What does it mean to Dylan Gabriel? And he understands, and and he and Dylan are are, uh, older brother, younger brother of sorts, that Dylan had entrenched himself, and it would be difficult. It would be difficult for, for, for all parties involved. You know, the first time somebody throws an interception, the first time someone leads you on a big drive and you're looking over your shoulder, is that healthy? Is that healthy for Dylan Gabriel? Um, so I think all those things helped McKenzie reach a point that he felt maybe the best thing for me is to go find someplace else to go. Dylan's entrenched himself. He's got 59 touchdowns in two years. He's certainly – uh, uh, played extremely well, and I think that ultimately led for uh, you know McKenzie to say, um, I think it's best if I go find someplace else. Let me go find a place that's comfortable for me. Um, I don't know what would have happened if they tried to make it work. I think it would have been really hard, and I think Dylan had earned the right to say, I I, I don't want to share a role with somebody. I, I I played two years as a starter, and I want to continue to play. Yeah, I find it very very interesting. I think our listeners will as well. It has been reported in the local media, but. McKenzie was 3-0 and against Norvell, and I'm sure when he picked up the phone and called Coach Norvell, that was a call he was willing to take because he's seen him up close and personal. Yeah, I mean, you see it prior to the uh, past season's one-point loss. It beat Memphis 14 straight times, and, and as you mentioned, McKenzie three times. But McKenzie, who understands offenses, uh, saw what Coach Norvell was running at Memphis, understood uh, what he was trying to do, and, and, and played with some really good quarterbacks there. So I think the familiarity, um, uh, you know, uh, certainly helped. And, um, you know, an opportunity to play matters for McKenzie. Look, we all don't know the answer to the question. It, 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 it's not you guys know this. It's not can he take a hit? Can he take a lot of hits? You don't play quarterback at any level of college football or anywhere without getting hit a lot. And that's still the, uh, uh, you know, the great unknown. But as far as opportunity to play with a quarterback room that his experience, I think, can certainly help um, play at a high level. And uh, with some familiarity with Coach Norvell and the system he wants, I think was a big factor. There's some other things here, guys, that came into play. There's a timeline that McKenzie wanted. I mean, you guys know the transfer portal now, I think, has about 600 players. I think it's about 40 quarterbacks in there. So he wanted to find a place that he can start the semester in January, get entrenched in the offseason program, be there for spring. And there may have been some other programs that were interested but wanted more time. And I don't think McKenzie wanted to let this drag out a little bit. That may have been a big factor that led to the decision at Florida State. At the same time, was the market that big? Was there uh, um, a pool of Power 5 brands that wanted McKenzie? Were there concerns about his health? So I think he pushed the timeline to say, look, I want to make a decision sooner than later. And that may have been a big advantage for Florida State. 
the million dollar question is is he healthy i know he was running the scout team physically do we think he's 100 percent? at some point you have to cross the mental hurdle of taking that first hit but physically is he back or do we just not know well uh what we do know is this, everything that you need to do, aside from getting hit, McKenzie Milton has been able to do. Um, UCF had the best scout team quarterback in the country. Um, now, <laughs> understand what that meant. But to do the things of being able to run, cut, throw, and things like that, McKenzie has shown the ability of doing that. Now, knowing that there's not a pass rush that's trying to hit you is something else. But physically, to be able to do those things, I think the answer is yes. But, Tom and Keith, you know, the unknown is when you know you've got guys that are trying to come and hit you and are legally allowed to do that, that's different. And only he knows mentally what that's going to be like. Even if doctors come along and say, hey, uh, you're fine to play, he still has to go and endure that process. And barring him being hit between now and September 5th against Notre Dame, I don't know if anybody will know that. His mental makeup, his emotional uh, maturity is something that has been talked about. He, he is a very in control, very uh, aware uh, pre-snap reads, post-snap reads. His ability to understand and process information is one of the big things I've heard from folks that have been around him. You've seen him. I assume that is accurate and, and very uh, evident when he's on the field. Keith, I think he's uh, the best pre-snap quarterback, not only that I think I've seen at UCF, but 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 of all the years that I've uh, been doing football and seen some really good quarterbacks, he has that knack that it's hard to teach. But, um, you know, nobody huddles. But, 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 I mean, when you get to the line, everybody sometimes does a check the sideline. But, you know, McKenzie is such a student of, uh, of studying film that by the time he looks, he, he's got a pretty good idea. Um, and, and, and then on top of that, it's not just the pre-snap read, it's – after that ball is snapped, if the defense has tried to change something, he's so good at adjusting to know what those options are. And um, the ability of rolling out in the pocket, not just give up and, and, and run, but to stay there, be patient, let your receivers help you. It's what's remarkable about him. And then his flick, that just little flick. I mean, if you're looking for the prototypical quarterback uh, mechanics, you're not going to get that with McKenzie. You're going to get that little flick, and you go, did he just flick that thing 40 yards into double coverage at the right spot or the right back shoulder throw? That's what the healthy McKenzie Milton was all about. Mark, correct me if I'm wrong here, but his first year was 2016, and that followed the winless season. Is that correct? He came in as a starter, and, and you went from winless to 6-7. and seven. Does that sound right? It is. Scott Frost made a decision early on in the year. We had a returning quarterback in Justin Holman, and I think Scott just said, listen, it's time for me to make that change, and I'm going to go with somebody that I think can be who my offense needs to be uh, led by. And uh, McKenzie had his moments as a freshman. He, he uh, had an incredible game. He lost a double overtime game to Maryland, but he was like, whoa, what is that? I mean, made some mistakes, but you saw some flashes there. And, and then, guys, the backside of that freshman year was a struggle. We, 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 we lost the bowl game, finished six and seven. He thought about transferring. He thought about going back to Hawaii. He went back to think about it. Didn't maybe have the best relationship with his offense offensive line when the year ended felt like maybe he needed to have a little bit more respect and then came back and and you kind of wondered what it was going to be like and then early in that year that you know UCF went up and blew out Maryland and you began to go okay I'm starting to see and and then the leadership 
role grew, and he didn't have to do it alone. Shaquem Griffin was on that roster. He kind of played also that leadership role that helped McKinsey, but as the year went along, you just began to see that's something special, uh, both as a leader and quarterback. Talking with the longtime voice of UCF, Mark Daniels, uh, I, I want to ask you a basketball question or two here in a moment because FSU plays UCF Saturday, but what what else maybe that you haven't seen in the in the stories, whether you know Mike Bianchi in Orlando or, or nationally, should Florida State folks be aware of with McKenzie that we haven't touched on? Um, he's just a great person. I've been fortunate to get to know McKenzie over his years here, both at his time as a player and to watch him during the rehab and have an incredible appreciation for this journey. It's, you know, it's harder than people think. He had setbacks, an infection that he had that Andrew Adelson wrote about, uh, put him back six months. I knew about that. Uh, Many times he kind of wondered, what am I doing? Should I not try to do this? So I have an incredible appreciation and respect for the person that has fought through this. So they're going to get somebody that's just a, a great guy that while walking on campus, you wouldn't know his football ability but plays with incredible passion. Um, Look, I've said this uh, uh, several times of late. Um, I will be incredibly jealous of someone that I idolize, that being Gene Deckerhoff, that Gene looks like he'll be the guy to call the moment McKenzie Milton returns to the football field. And if it wasn't me, I'm glad it's Gene Deckerhoff because of how much I love Gene. Um, It'll be a great moment. Uh, I root for McKenzie. have nothing but respect for him and his family and and hope that it uh, leads to a great year. One last thing on him, correct me if I'm wrong. He's 23. He's not an 18-year-old. I mean, he's yep. a mature kid. He's not Chris Winkie. Yep. <laughs> Only Chris showed up at 26. Yeah. But uh, he is very much the veteran. Yeah, no, uh, uh, he'll command respect. Um, you know, look, I know Florida State's got some talented quarterbacks coming back on the roster. I think it, 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 if it works as Mike Norvell wants, he's a perfect transition guy he's a perfect leader in that quarterback room and on the field he'll earn their respect uh, quickly if he can perform at the level that he hopes to do that and they're getting somebody that has uh, a lot of experience keep not just life as a football player but an appreciation of what he's gone through the last couple of years that he's matured and I think understands uh, what that's all about switching gears a thumbnail sketch on what UCF has on the basketball court this year and and kind of interesting Florida State's in a stretch where they're playing a lot of games on a short turnaround and UCF I think is going to have what a 13-day break leading into this game Saturday night yeah just the crazy quirks of a schedule obviously that to to, to, to try to make it work Uh, UCF opened with a good win against an Auburn team it's kind of I still think finding themselves and um, and then, you know, shorthand, they went up to Michigan, played well to start the game, and then kind of fell apart. Now, you know, a long time uh, off. Johnny Dawkins um, needs to get a healthy basketball team uh, right now. Darius Perry is a point guard from Louisville that transferred to UCF. He's been out. Um, I don't think he's going to play in the basketball game on Saturday. But we, we, we might get him back for Tuesday game against Cincinnati. Uh, and then UCF lost Colin Smith, a 6'11 center that um, had a medical condition, not COVID-related, um, that forced him to step away from basketball. So that's made Johnny have to adjust his roster to some degree. C.J. Walker's a transfer from Oregon. He was a five-star recruit that I still think is getting comfortable playing college basketball. So um, right now, and then UCF lost its backup point guard to blow at his knee in that first game against Auburn. So we're using a, 
uh, a six-five kind of wing player at point guard right now that could be potentially for some teams a, a difficult matchup because of his size. Um, but it's going to be a tough spot for UCF. We're going to play really, really well and protect the basketball. And obviously, there's great respect for what Leonard's done, their way of playing defense, how they turn you over and and and, and turn to the basket. So UCF's got to play a really smart game, limit turnovers, um, and not let FSU kind of use their athleticism on defense uh, 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 to let the game get away. So tough opportunity again. Auburn, Michigan, um, this basketball game against Florida State. Uh, we had a game against Houston that was then pushed back. So it's been a, a and Cincinnati next week. So it has been an incredible schedule that lies ahead for UCF uh, to start the year. But look forward to the opportunity. No FSU's won what twenty seven in a row at home. Um, it'll be a tough spot for UCF, but we'll see what happens on Saturday. Up tempo, more half court sets. What do you think you see offensively from the Knights? Well, against Auburn, it was really defensively to offense, Keith, where they were able to force some turnovers on Auburn and turn that into a fast-break opportunities. Auburn did not shoot the ball really well there. I think in this matchup against Florida State, you know, I think Johnny's going to want to focus first on protecting the basketball, break break any pressure Florida State wants to throw. Um, I don't know right now if this is a great outside shooting team. Darren Green is their three-point shooting specialist, but they'll, they'll need some other players to consistently um, – hit some shots. So this is a team that first and foremost has to limit the mistakes, not turn the ball over. If they do, it it, 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 it becomes a long night. But Johnny's also known for great defense. You know, they'll mix up some zone and man here. They like to play man more often, but they're going to have to, I think, have a lower scoring basketball game here. Mark, we appreciate your your insight and, and your time. Uh, and the good work you've done over many, many years, you know, I, I guess the commonality we have, you know, we've, we've all been sports guys in Florida for a while. Now we're all becoming old sports guys in Florida, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just don't say that often, but uh, you know, uh, older, uh, older, <laughs> right, right. Older and wiser is what I like to say. <laughs> Mark Daniels, the voice of UCF. We'll take a break. Come back with more front row Knowles right after this. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Really great perspective from Mark Daniels' last segment who saw Mackenzie Milton's entire UCF career and offered some good thoughts as he transfers into FSU. Now let's continue that conversation on the Florida State side with our Osceola insider Bob Ferrante as we open back up the Earl Bacon Agency hotline. Hey, Bob, uh, from a big picture, and and we don't have to dive deep into the weeds, so I'll kind of ask for a general statement, but it appears that FSU, everybody that was committed signed with FSU, they got one extra kid, at least as we're recording, and George Wilson, a defensive end who originally had committed to South Carolina. And then there's a holding pattern maybe for, for one kid, the offensive lineman from Niceville, who may not sign to February. Is that is that accurate as, as we sit here at this moment? <laughs> right. It, it sounds like Florida State, basically everybody who was committed is, uh, is in-house. And, and there's a couple of uh, guys still out there, you know, Destin Hill, the receiver from Mountain, Louisiana. Um, and chemo from Niceville will be a February signee, but, but yeah, I, I think, you know, as coaches like to say met needs and among those big needs were getting better on the offensive line and the defensive line. So I, I think that's, that's probably the overall theme is, is better in the trenches today. 
one of the big things you worry about in the signing day. And now that we're, is this year four of the new early signing period? I can't, it's been so like it's forever. I've, I've lost count. But you also, you always say you, you, you don't want to lose your commits and maybe pick up one or two stragglers. And so far, that looks like the pattern that FSU has had, uh, at least for this particular early signing period. Yeah, I think this one was just brutally challenging for a first-year staff because it's a pandemic and you can't bring anybody on campus. So you're doing virtual tours. And really, I think we talked about this months ago that, that Mike Norvell was going to sign a class. Guys who he has probably never shaken hands, bumped fists with, um, they've, they've potentially driven around campus on an unofficial visit. It's going to be a truly bizarre situation, but it's the reality of where we are. And, you know, good job by Mike Norvell to lock down the guys who have been long-term commitments to make sure nobody had any, you know, you know, jitters and, and maybe looking elsewhere. I, I think, I think the George Wilson signing, uh, Virginia beach kid who was going to go to South Carolina, but, you know, when Will Muschamp was was dismissed, that was an opening that the Florida State staff saw and, and thought this is a guy we can we can bring down. And of course, they've had success historically bringing kids down from from that uh, D.C., Maryland, Virginia area. So so some definitely some good pickups. Let's not lose sight of the fact that Patrick Payton was not committed until a couple of weeks ago. So if you go back and I'm going to guess. When the calendar turned to December 1st, I don't know that Patrick Payton was committed and you get him and George Wilson. So that's a pair of defensive ends, both from really good football playing areas, one from Dade County and one from the area you just referenced in, in D.C., Maryland, Virginia, the DMV up there. I mean, that's that's pretty good haul late. Yeah, the the word that we're hearing is is, is Patrick Payton is, is legitimately going to be that kind of um, – hate to use the Brian Burns comparison, but I think a lot of people are doing that. He has that body build. Now, will he add on some weight? Will he be that um, defensive end who can, who can use his speed, but also kind of fight through those, def- those offensive linemen to get to the quarterback. He's, he's potentially the guy that Florida State has been missing. They haven't had that kind of twitchy fast um, off the edge type of defensive end outside linebacker. We'll see how the staff uses him. I think arguably if you, if you set aside Mackenzie Milton, the biggest signings are probably Patrick Payton and then Rod Orr, the offensive tackle from, from Gaston city, Alabama. Those were among the guys who were just, you had to have them for this class. Hey, quick thought before we jump to other topics here, the social media graphics, Florida state's, uh, folks behind the scenes are getting an awful lot of national pub for people who really are deep in the trenches in recruiting about, uh, you know, just the look and feel they put together. You know, visually it's really, really cool. I mean, it, it's to have Ron Simmons, to have Deion Sanders, to have graphics with all these guys from Florida state history and, and to have it, to have it ready. I think, I think it was just really creative and especially in a year where you don't have in-house photos of all these guys because you couldn't get them on campus. And, and to, just to show that creativity, um, you know, Florida state from a graphic standpoint has come a long way in a few years. This was definitely a, an area of weakness where, you know, recruiting analysts talked about it. Recruits talked about this openly, that it was a, a real shortcoming and, 
Rand is very, very important for prospects um, these past few years. And of course, with name, image, and likeness, that's only going to become a, a bigger deal down the road in 2021. So to have something this creative, catchy, cool, to get that kind of national attention, yeah, it, it's a big deal. So, so kudos to FSU Recruiting for pulling that off. Before, before we leave that one last, I have an opinion. I'd be interested in yours. But again, from a national perspective, this recruiting class is not going to be a top 10 class. It's probably not going to be a top 20 class. It may be a top 50 class at best. Should Florida State fans care? I think you cannot judge a signing class until about three years down the road. Uh, we talked maybe a couple weeks ago, about weeks, weeks ago, sorry, about that 2018 class, that transition class that, you know, a lot of those guys have departed. Now it's about 11 out of the 21, I think. And so you're seeing the results on the field. It's just not working out. You can't judge this class until Mike Norvell and the staff have time to develop them. Um, when I say develop, strength and conditioning, number one, get them in the film room, get them to understand the scheme. And then on the practice field and eventually the playing field, it's really, really tough. I, I think people will focus on the shortcomings. You know, is there a, a quarterback or running back or, you know, that kind of five-star type? Well, for the moment, no. But you develop the three stars, the four stars, and, and you go out there and you, you do the best you can with them. That's what Mike Norvell has done historically. So I try not to get too caught up in the numbers. I think everybody does look at, yeah, what does Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, all those those big-time schools do. But, again, you, you have to evaluate these classes just years down the road. Well, and plus, by, the way, by the way, McKenzie Milton, I think, was a three-star in 2016 when he signed with UCF. Plus, with the transfer portal, Bob, if you got six or seven spots left and you fill them with two more offensive tackles and a linebacker and a pass rushing rushing edge and two receivers, uh, you know, that all have a chance to contribute, we're, we're going to feel a lot better, you know, depending on how that shakes out. So we just don't know. I don't really want to preview the Wake Forest game, 12 noon kick scheduled this week. I'm, I'm sure Florida State's precariously thin again. Uh, hopefully that game – and Wake, for that matter, has been thin too and had its own COVID issues. Do we have any update, though, on Ontario Wilson, who went down, Emmett Rice, who appeared to hurt his shoulder, and then also Fabian Lovett, and whether they're available this week? Yeah, Mike Norvell mentioned that, that Fabian Lovett is doing really well, and it, it's kind of a wait-and-see thing. How does he do in practice, and then do you get him back? Um, no real tangible update with Ontario Wilson. I think that's – that's a big one because you start getting down in numbers really at receiver down to about four guys. And, and how many of those four have legitimate experience? Um, you know, looking through the, the stat book one more time this week, I think the running backs had 10 out of the 13 receptions on Saturday. So we're going to probably see more of that. We're going to see force. It has to go, you know, with guys like Ja'Kai Douglas and Lawrence Tofili, Jay Sean Corbin, um, they're going to have to be looked to not just as guys out of the backfield or guys in the slot, but the staff has to, again, get creative as far as um, how you utilize pass catchers and not necessarily a guy defined on the roster as a receiver. Well, Coach Norvell, and I think uh, Coach Dillingham even backed him up, said he looked up one time in an offensive set and they had four running backs on the field. Two of them lined up at receiver, one in the slot, and one in the backfield. 
fortunately, you've got some versatility there. Yeah, and about a year ago, I think at this time, on around signing day, we were discussing the versatility of this running back group. And, you know, is a guy like Ja'Kai Douglas a running back or receiver? Is Corey Wren a running back or receiver? We haven't seen much of Corey Wren. But that versatility sure comes in handy right about now when, you know, you're in the middle of, of such roster flux. And I think on the particip- participation report, it was 50 scholarship guys who played on Saturday, a couple of walk-ons mixed in there, you know, guys like Preston Daniel. So they, they are really utilizing going all the way down the roster to find guys who they've shown versatility in practice. And now they're showing it on Saturdays too. Hey, Bob, Virginia tech opted out of a bowl game today. So that's now a third of the ACC that's opted out side note that snaps Virginia tech's bowl streak, which preserves FSU's, History will remember it that FSU had the longest streak. Kudos to Virginia Tech for making the best decision they thought they could they should make, regardless or separate from that streak being on the line. But my question to you is, and 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 for clarification for our listeners' sake, so five teams from the league have opted out. Three or four bowl games that have ACC tie-ins have been canceled this year. But in the event that FSU somehow, and I don't even know that it would require a win over Wake Forest, but somehow gets extended a bowl offer. Do you think they would go or should go? I think this will be, I think it'll be a team meeting, honestly. It'll be a legitimate discussion among the players and coaches, as well as administrators, as to do you want to make this commitment? Do you want to stay on campus through the holiday? And it's going to be very attractive if there is a bowl game in the state that extends an offer to Florida State. It's, that's going to be hard to turn down. But I think if you're extending an offer and, and, and pick your ACC bowl tie-in outpost that's maybe not nearly as desirable, I, I think a lot of players would say, look, it has been an extremely long year. We have not been home since June or July. And Florida State coaches and administrators have asked the players to stay on campus you know, through that 28-day layoff, through all the bye weeks. They've, they've made a real sacrifice for the program to continue this season already. So I I lean towards saying Florida State would pass on one, but we really don't know. We're not going to know for sure, I think, until maybe later Saturday, Sunday, when the Bulls are formally announced. Let me start this next question by offering apologies to Leonard Hamilton and Stan and CY, Coach Smith, because we've not mentioned basketball yet, Keith, and we're three-quarters of the way into this show. The men's team now 4-0. My sort of snapshot would be, I don't think they've really played well at all over the course of the first four games, and they're 4-0. and Now, they've played well in spurts. So I guess what I'm saying is there were a lot of years where you hadn't played very well through four games, and you're 2-2. Two and two. So I'll take it, and I like what I'm seeing from this group. Your thoughts? And, and I forgot about this until Leonard mentioned it, uh, you know, postgame. They lost three straight ACC openers. You know, we think about Pitt last year being a tough opener to start a year, but historically, Forsay has just struggled in that first game, regardless of the opponent. So, yeah, you can say what you want about Georgia Tech, but but Florida State finished it out. You know, Scotty Barnes with a pretty exceptional second half, and you know that little that little hook shot in the lane was was pretty fun to watch too. So he's look, Scotty's got to work on the jumper. He's got to work on the free throw shooting. Um, Yes, to your point. We probably haven't seen a sustained 
consistent performance out of Florida State. But to knock off Indiana, Florida, Georgia Tech in, what, seven days? Um, pretty impressive start. And I think Leonard Hamilton has, has talked frequently about how difficult this season is to get started. Without an exhibition season, it's just so challenging to figure out how you mix and match rotations, how much can you count on a freshman or a newcomer. So all those things that you could work out in a traditional year just haven't been able to. So, yeah, it's 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 really an impressive start for no, and and look forward to seeing them play Saturday night too. Bob Ferranti, our Osceola insider for complete recruiting and always for complete Florida State coverage, go to the Osceola.com, subscribe, and uh, get some great insight from Bob and the rest of the staff. I'll let you get back to uh, to signing day, Bob. Take care, guys. It's actually signing three days since it continues through Friday, so it's not just 24 hours anymore. All right, we'll step aside, come back, and wrap up Front Row Knowles right after this. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, Tom and KJ, as we finish up, still several more minutes to go. Again, if you're just tuning in, go back and listen to uh, our previous two segments. Mark Daniels, the voice of UCF, great perspective on who Mackenzie Milton is, what Florida State's getting both on the field and off. And I'm Bob Ferranti from the Osceola, always with the latest and greatest on Florida State. Pretty good day, pretty good week overall for FSU. Uh, apologies again to the basketball staff. I guess they're used to it, Keith. They've been here a while. They know the way it goes. If football season is still going, we don't really go all in on hoops. And so it's your, I mean, your 19, you're 19 for Leonard. I'm, I'm pretty sure he knows the lay of the land. And by the way, the last update that we have from our perspective regarding uh, Florida forward, uh, County Johnson, I think County is his first name. Right. Uh, is that he was up this morning, Wednesday morning, uh, had actually FaceTimed with his teammates, was still in the hospital uh, undergoing evaluations. But uh, thoughts and prayers to the Johnson family and to Conte individually and uh, to that Florida program. That was a scary, scary thing that happened uh, in the tuck. Yeah, it was. And I echo those sentiments. And there's been a big outpouring on social media from Florida State fans uh, wishing the best, nothing but the best there. Uh, to him in the Gator program, who, by the way, canceled its basketball game that was scheduled for tonight against the University of North Florida. So uh, and, and obvious reasons why is there, uh, you know, a family in distress right now. And we, and we certainly it seems like that's trending towards a, a better ending than than obviously what we all feared on Saturday and Sunday. So, so and, that's and hats off to Leonard. Hats off to Leonard. I think the way he handled that, the way FSU's administrators handled that by, you know, dialoguing with Florida and uh, asking them, you know, it's your call. Do you want to continue? Do you want to end it? We're okay either way. Um, you know, Coach Hamilton getting his team together for prayer. I know some of the kids went over and, and kind of got arm to arm. If, I, if, if some of the photographs I saw were correct with the Florida squad, I mean, you're, they're rivalries. You don't like each other. You're going to beat each other on the court, on the field, on a game board. But when something of that significance occurs, we're all – 
uh, in this together. And I was really impressed with the way Coach Hamilton, Coach White, uh, and the teams handled and conducted themselves. And kudos to the first responders and the medical team that were, uh, were right on top of it. Keith, we can spend all season talking about Scotty Barnes, but we're four games in, and I already – if I see him driving, I'm counting it as two points. Whether he's going to score it himself or find somebody, I mean, he just – he may he's not the purest stroke outside with a shot. His free throw is a little rough around the edges. But if he gets within 10 or 12 feet of the basket, which, by the way, he can do pretty much anytime he wants to, he's going to find a way to hook it in, scoop it in, find an open guy. I mean, he's – I can see why now that the coaching staff was not afraid – to, to speak so highly of him before he even played a game, because that's just who he is. He's that kind of player. You hear uh, coaches and media folk talk about basketball players that can create their own shot. You know, you think of Michael Jordan, you think of James, you think of uh, Magic, uh, folks that you, you give them the ball, everybody else stands on the outside and watch them do what they do. Barnes is a point guard. He can dribble drive. He can penetrate. He can dish. He can shoot. Yeah, his three-point shooting needs work. He's 18, 19 years old, okay? You know, it took LeBron James until he was about 22 or 23 to to consistently hit three-pointers. That's the nature of the beast. He's just exciting to play. And the bigger thing about him, Tommy, is all the other kids, even with his notoriety, even with the fame, quote-unquote, uh, he's a team player. And that hasn't always been the case at Florida State with some of their high-profile basketball recruits. Uh, I, it's an exciting group to watch. I love, I love how MJ's coming along. I love Balsa in the middle. Uh, Turk, you know, once or twice a ball game, he'll do something with that big body that you just don't think he could do. Uh, Wyatt comes off of the bench, goes three for three from three land. You need that. Um, it's 18 strong. It's a, it's an exciting time for Florida state basketball. And, and if you get the opportunity with limited seating, uh, you need to get a ticket and you need to go watch them in person because it's well worth the price of admission. Speaking of which don't lose sight of the fact that FSU hosts Duke on January 2nd. And by the way, Duke's best freshman and top recruit Jalen Johnson is currently out indefinitely, and that's just two weeks away. So FSU might not get a full compliment Duke, which I'm not going to apologize for if that's the way it happens when they come to town. I'm not going to apologize for shoes being thrown, and I'm not going to be apologizing for Duke not having, you know, 17 McDonald's All-Americans available. That was very subtle, the way you dropped the (laughs) shoe-throwing reference in there. As we're talking, I see that Cam Akers has been named the NFC Offensive Player of the Week, not Rookie of the Week, but Player of the Week. It was great to see what he did last week. I want to finish up on this, Keith. We haven't mentioned this at all, but the ACC got a new commissioner this week. Jim Phillips hasn't officially taken over, but he's the, the long-term, long-time AD at Northwestern. I can't find a soul who has anything bad to say about this guy, whether it's Big Ten, ACC. Everybody who's talked about him says good things. I'll take that as a win. I appreciate the fact that the ACC, while they didn't go outside of the box and get somebody outside of college athletics, they did get somebody who has no ties to the triangle or the old guard in the ACC, and you know I've been lobbying for that. And that said, my wish list, here's number one. He's a longtime Chicago guy. Let's just go ahead, and this this should be his priority list. Let's move the ACC headquarters out of Greensboro to Chicago. I'm good with it. 
And then number two on his list, he just needs to get Notre Dame and Northwestern to join the ACC, and that will solve the TV revenue issues and we'll be all good. Well, first of all, there's a there's a slightly used brand new building in, in Greensboro that the ACC built just a few years ago that might might put a crimp in that plan. We can sell uh, it to the AAC or some other league, Keith. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and number two, I, I wouldn't want to be living in Chicago right now for reasons that are beyond the uh, breadth and depth of this particular radio show. Uh, but I hear you. I was absolutely impressed. I'd never heard of this guy. I'm sure you hadn't either, but he spent 12 years at Northwestern. Uh, what he's been able to do in raising money, you know, they've gone to four bowl games. They made their first appearance in the NCAA basketball tournament under his watch. Uh, he chairs a couple of very important committees uh, at the NCAA level, which means his peers have respect for him because they put him into those positions. Uh, and I echo your thoughts. Uh, I love the ACC. I love the schools in Tobacco Road, but it is nice to have an outsider as opposed to an insider that maybe will pay more attention to Coral Gables and Tallahassee and, and those places than they do um, the zip codes in North Carolina. Many thought he was going to become the Big Ten commissioner and were floored that he wasn't named the Big Ten commissioner. So I'll take that as a win. You can see why he's attractive, an impeccable record from everybody you speak to, the broad experience with the NCAA. He's a basketball guy, was a basketball assistant at one time. So, you know, the ACC is going to like that. Also, he's from a private institution in Northwestern. And, oh, by the way, the ACC has got more private institutions than any other league. So there's a lot of, a lot of reasons it was a good fit. I don't know how you solve the TV revenue. We certainly don't have time to have a conversation about it now, but that's got to be top on the list, whether it's solving the TV revenue or finding some other pot of gold somewhere that, that trickles into, turns into dollar signs, but that's got to well, be one, on the list. One last thing, and I know we're close on, on time, but kind of went under the radar is the SEC, re, not redid, but the CBS is leaving their radio contract, or their television contract. And, ESPN is taking over a larger share of it with a larger dollar amount, even in the COVID era. I found that absolutely fascinating. I did not see that coming. Yeah. That was first reported last year at this time by sport business journal. And the problem there, and we need to do a longer show on this and get some people in the know uh, when that, when that takes place, it's going to add an extra 15 to 17 million per sec school. So that gap is going to get wider. We still don't know what the actual gap is for the ACC because the network's not fully distributed. And also it's been a COVID year, so you're not getting full dollars. Right. But anyway, we can dive deeper into that another time. Keith, uh, we haven't even discussed this. Do we? Are we planning to do a show next week? I mean, now that we have Zoom, it's a little easier, but I don't know what your thoughts are. Are we going to put together a best of? Do we need to flip a coin? How are we handling this? I say we flip a coin and we'll just leave our listeners – on the edge of their seat, whether it be driving in their car, truck, or sitting at home, or maybe they're out jogging and getting in shape. We're not sure. All right. Sounds like a plan. So there you go. That's uh, as weak a tease as we can offer. Tune in next week. You may have a new show. You may not. Either way, have a happy holiday season. He's Keith. I'm Tom. And thanks for listening to Front Row Knowles. Control.